the Sunday Sermons Podcast. I'm really overwhelmed this morning with gratitude for so many things. A year ago, if you remember, the Easter service was 100% online and we were all on lockdown. Um, a lot has changed since then. Uh, because of that experience, uh, those of you who are sick or on quarantine or on vacation or wherever else are able to join us now. I'm so thankful for the huge team that's been created, the technology that's been bought, all the things that make that possible. I, I, I got to tell you, it's even better to be able to see this many real life faces staring back at me this morning. I, I, that's a huge blessing. But most of all, of course, we're thankful for Jesus. This is Resurrection Day, Easter. Call it what you want. This is the day we, the most important day in all of history. This is the most important thing that ever happened, ever. And we're celebrating that. And I'm so thankful to Jesus. I'm also thankful to everyone else. Here's the truth. There is not one person in here, not one person anywhere in America that has not had somebody, a bunch of somebody's actually, lay down their lives so that they might live. Jesus is the ultimate example of that, but if, as long as we still have any freedom in America, there's some things happening right now, I don't know how much longer we're going to have the freedom to speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But, I'll tell you this, as long as it lasts, it's because a lot of people gave up their lives because they believed in freedom. They believed in that so much. They, they, on Memorial Day, we celebrate those people who literally died so that we could live. On Veterans Day, we, we celebrate the people who took a risk that that could happen, but thank God they survived and they're still with us. Either way, they laid down their life. But once again, we know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of this. Laying down your life and also having an intention about it. Laying down his life so that we might live. Now I, I know it's, it's joyous and happy and celebration and, and, and it should be and it will be again and we're going to go there but I don't mean to be a downer. I just, I just wanted to, we got to start where this is. Maybe this will lighten it a little bit. Anybody else besides me watching Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney Plus? That's a good show. Good show. Here we go. Got an amen out of that one. I need to bring up Disney more often apparently. Seriously, one of the cool things about that is you see one of the superheroes go into therapy. In one of his therapy sessions, his therapist says, you've been through a whole lot, but you're free. And he says, free to do what? To do what? And that's a really good question. One of my all-time favorite movies ever is Saving Private Ryan. Anybody else like that one? I love that one. Super moving. Everybody should see that if you're an American. But in that one, the, the, I, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the title is Saving Private Ryan. He does make it to the end. But he makes it to the end by, at the cost of a bunch of other people's lives, either risking it or actually dying for him. And at the end, one of those people, as they're dying, looks him in the eye and says, earn this. It's one of the most powerful two words I've ever seen. One of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Because they know, they both know two things are happening right there. One, you can't earn that. 
Are you kidding me? That's impossible. You can't earn that. There is nothing that Ryan is going to ever be able to do that is going to make up for the sacrifices that were made on his behalf. There is nothing he could ever do that's actually equal or worth that. It's impossible. But at the same time, what the guy is telling him, and they both know that, they both know that as we're looking at each other in the eye, what he's saying is, don't waste the incredible gift you've been given here. Invest this wisely, dude. You've been given a chance. Do something important. Do something well. And in the face of the amazing, wonderful thing that Jesus did for us on the cross and how he wrapped it up in the best possible way, blew everybody's expectations out of the water by coming back to life again. And everything that those means, the, the best possible thing we can ask now is to do what? What do we do with that freedom? What do we do with this gift that we've been given? And we have to start to get to the happy stuff, to get to the strategy, to get to all the happy and good stuff. We've got to start acknowledging there is no way that we can earn this. We can't. But we also have to acknowledge that all throughout the scripture, God's idea of righteousness always has to do with doing things. It's not just about not doing certain things. It's about actually doing things. I hope this sounds really familiar to you. This is central to the gospel. Romans 3 verses 10 to 12, Paul writes, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Not only that last line, but every single word, every single word and phrase in here is talking about action. Biblically speaking, righteousness means doing good, accomplishing God's will. True wisdom in the scriptures doesn't just mean knowing some good answers. It means making the best possible choices you can. Seeking God is something you do. Yet all of us don't get what needs to be done, done. Near enough. That's sin. And then all of us have also actually done what we did get done, what we did accomplish with some bad things. A few verses later, Paul writes, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of His sins. And make no mistake, Jesus did every single thing that He did for us. Hundreds of years before Jesus did what he did, hundreds of years before crucifixion itself was even invented. It wasn't even a thing yet. Isaiah wrote about the suffering servant and just explicitly described what Jesus was going to go through. I'd like you to read just a portion of that out loud with me here from Isaiah 53. And notice some of the words are a little bigger. These are the pronouns that refer to us. Would you read that out loud and just, just notice that? Maybe say it just a tiny bit. It's, it, notice, this is, Jesus did this for us. Yet it was for our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. 
What are we going to do about that? How are we going to use that freedom? How are we going to invest that incredible gift that we've been given? Isaiah writes very clearly here, Jesus had intention. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. And again, we see both truths happening at the same time. We are counted righteous because of what Jesus did. There's no way to earn this. But there's also no way to just go, hey, thanks, and move on. We've got to respond by saying, how how do you, Jesus, how do you want me to invest what you did for me? There are three things we know for sure. Whatever he's going to call you to do this morning that's specific to you, it's going to be in these three categories, I guarantee. First thing, if you'll say this out loud with me. Jesus reconnects us with God. Let's say it together. Jesus reconnects us with God. And only the cross could have done that. Only the resurrection could have wrapped that whole process up. There is nothing else. We never could have done that on our own. Because sin cannot exist in the same room, in the same space as righteousness. Any more than death and life can. No matter how much we love someone, when they pass away, we have to get rid of that body. We can't keep pretending that they're still alive. I don't mean to be gross. I'm just telling you, you can't have death and life happen at the same place. It doesn't work. It's the exact same thing with sin and righteousness to God. We we expect him to go, can't you just get over it? No, he can't get over it. Sin and righteousness can't happen at the same time. You can't go down the road toward things God hates and the road to things he loves at the exact same time. It can't happen. But Jesus makes it possible for us to reconnect with God. And not only God himself, but God's purposes and God's dreams and the things, the ability to actually do some things that it doesn't earn it, but man, it makes it happy for God. It makes him smile. It makes him get excited. It makes Jesus go, yeah. Am I the only person here that wants your life to make Jesus go, yeah? Yeah. That was a question. Who else wants to make Jesus go, yeah? Okay. At least I'm not the only one. Hallelujah. Guys, I know this is deep, but this is exciting. We are free. We're just talking about how to invest it. Last week I told you about Steve Cuss, an amazing quote and concept he has. He says, crisis does not create, it reveals and exposes. And again, crisis in this instant doesn't always mean something bad. It means something life-changing. If you've ever had a child, that's a crisis. It changes your life forever. It's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. But everything about your life is different from that point on. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you get your dream job and you get to start it, but then the rest of your life you have to show up to work every day doing that job. It changes your life. That's a crisis in your life. And if you've ever had a tragedy happen, something terrible happen, and it rocks your whole world, it's the same thing. But here's what crises do. They reveal what's already there. If a church or relationship survives something terrible and gets stronger somehow, it says more about the people and the strength of their commitment, the strength of their character, than it ever says about what the problem was. Or how wonderful that good crisis is could have been if if it all falls apart it says more about 
everything that led up to that moment, good or bad, than it says about that moment itself. You see this happening in the story of Jesus over and over. Everywhere Jesus goes, you see people revealed for who they really are, where their true allegiances lie. Last week we talked about Palm Sunday and the irony that the same people that yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, are the same people who yelled, crucify him not too long ago. It's actually pretty easy to understand that, honestly. They didn't flip-flop. Both crises revealed who they really were. They were people who just followed the crowd. They didn't really believe in Jesus. But at that moment, what was blowing up on Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else was that Jesus was coming in with all the Passover lambs and he might be the Messiah. So they're like, hashtag, I'm in it. (laughs) Hashtag, he is the Messiah. Hashtag, Hosanna. Are you with me? I'm trying to bring this into what it would have looked like these days. They didn't really have phones. But they're just following the crowd. And a couple days later, the crowd goes the other way and they're like, hashtag, I never believed in that dude anyway. That's who they really were. The exciting moment and the dark moment all revealed. And even his closest followers disbanded. Only one of them made it to the foot of the cross, the Apostle John. And Peter denied three times. You saw where they really were, what they really believed at at that moment. It was scary stuff. But Jesus, Jesus also revealed what was really in him. We see the struggle. We see the pain. We see him agonizing over it. We see his broken heart. We see his agony. We see him asking God, is there any other way? But we also see him sticking it out. We see him going like a lamb to the slaughter and not saying a word when he could. Not calling down angels when he could. We see him enduring the whole thing and accomplishing everything he had resolved to accomplish exactly the way he had planned to accomplish it. And we see him getting the job done. And even in the moment when he is dying, even in that moment when is hardest for him when he is carrying the weight of all of our sins even in that exact moment the moment of his death he's still playing for the home team Matthew 27 verses 50 and 51 then Jesus shouted out again and he released his spirit this is the moment he died at that moment the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom the earth shook the rocks split apart. I don't know if that was God or angels or exactly how that got accomplished, but Jesus is dying and there's still stuff going on. You see that? Here's another little side note. If I were making this up, or if anybody 2,000 years ago were making this up, they would have left out some of these really fantastic things. Because it's hard enough to believe that God sent his son and his son is actually still God. And some of these other details, you're like, "Eh, really, for real? It gets dark in the middle of the day. There's an earthquake and blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you a little clue here. This is one of the ways we actually know that the scriptures are true. All of the New Testament was completed within the lifetime of the people who are in these stories. And the reason those weird details are in there is because they lived through those things. They know that. They didn't all believe in Jesus, but they could all remember to that one day, that one Passover, when it got dark in the middle of the day. And then remember that earthquake? They remember that. 
Those crazy sounding details, that's not people trying to make the story better. They're telling them those things because they're saying, you remember this thing? That was Jesus. You remember this thing? That was because he was the Messiah. And it all leads to the most amazing thing ever, which is Sunday morning. Thank God. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Notice in this crisis moment, they still believe he's dead. But they also want to honor him anyway. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. Here's another one. Later on, as people are telling the story, they're like, you remember that big earthquake this, a couple days before the weekend? And then there was another one that morning. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. I don't know what you guys would think. I, I, I still haven't personally seen an angel. I know some people have. I would love to see one. Just telling you, God. Be cool. But, but it's scary. Every single time you see an angel show up, anytime ever, they, the first thing that comes out of their mouth every time is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Depends on the translation we're trying to do. it. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Settle down. Somehow or another, they're trying to comfort people. But it's scary. Again, this is something that, that they're not adding this into the story later. This is what these ladies experience. They know exactly what happened. Actually, there's even more... The day he died. Watch this. Let's go back to where that was. Remember, the, he says the last thing, the curtain tears, the earth shakes, the rocks split apart, and tombs opened. The bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised from the dead. They left the cemetery after Jesus' resurrection. They went into the holy city of Jerusalem and appeared to many people. Now, I don't know what they were doing between... That earthquake and the earthquake Sunday morning. It doesn't tell us that. That's weird. And if I were making all this up, I wouldn't add something weird like that. Here's why that's it. They're, they're, they're sitting there and they're, they just imagine the words getting around. Guys, listen, I just heard that Jesus Christ came back from the dead. Oh, no, there's no way. No, he did. Maybe it's true. Shut up, Uncle Ishmael. Uncle Ishmael! Do you know what I'm talking about? Here's all these people. The same moment this word is getting around, there's all these people. That's why these details are included, because you can't argue that Uncle Ishmael was gone for a while, and then he was back after that Sunday morning. So we know it's possible for at least Uncle Ishmael and that other lady down the street and that other lady next door. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. It's insane. But it happened, and there it is. Pretty exciting stuff. Let's get back to the story of Jesus Sunday morning. The angel sitting on a stone, his face shone like lightning. His clothing was as white as snow. Once again, let me remind you, it always says their clothing is white, not their skin. I have a hard time believing that as creative as God is, that all the angels look like skinny white dudes with their hair parted down the middle. And if that's really what they look like, I don't think they have to say, don't be afraid. <laughs> his face shone like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they fell into a dead faint. Once again, crisis shows who you really are, not what you look like. The angel spoke to the women. Don't be afraid, he said. 
I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead just as he said would happen. Come see where his body was lying. We pause for a second. Let him go look. Remember, Thomas gets a lot of bad press because he said, hey, I'll believe when I see it. There's nothing wrong with that, actually. There's nothing wrong with looking for some actual evidence that truth holds up. Just saying. And now, quickly, go tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb and they were very frightened, but also filled with great joy and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. As they went, Jesus met them and greeted them and they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him. Remember, worship means pledge allegiance. It means give everything, total surrender. I don't think they're at his feet singing a little song. Lord, we lift your name on high. <laughs> they're just saying, oh my goodness. It's, it, now we know there's no more doubt ever. There never could be ever. You are the Messiah. You are the ultimate Passover lamb. You are the son of God. You are the whole thing. You got us. You got everything. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Again, you see Jesus' real heart. He knows he's been betrayed, he knows these guys have scattered, he knows exactly what happened. But in this moment, he's still calling them his brothers. And he's rounding them all back up. As the story continues, you see the religious leaders in the face of actual resurrection, they're still bribing people to tell a lie, to keep it a secret so they can still hold on to their power. You see, everything revealed for who it really is, including Jesus. And here's the next thing that we see that's still consistent with Jesus today. The first thing was, he always wants to reconnect us with God. The second is, say it with me, Jesus reconnects us with others. One more time. Jesus reconnects us with others. His resurrection itself and everything that he said and did in those 40 days strategically brought all of his followers back together. It restored his faith in them and restored their faith in each other as well. These guys weren't probably ever going to talk to each other again. They were embarrassed that they'd all believed in this guy and he just ended up dead. They were sad. They were, they were confused. They were afraid. They didn't want to get caught. They didn't want to be associated with the whole thing anymore. They had spread out. But this regroups the team. This starts getting the team back together. And that's what Jesus loves to do. Now we've all had some relationships end. Sometimes it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Sometimes it was the worst. Sometimes it was because we just moved or, or somebody got a job somewhere or something. Sometimes it was because somebody died. There's a lot of reasons why relationships end. Jesus had experienced that right here and so had all of them. But here's something Jesus could do that we can't do without him. He gave him a new beginning. A real supernatural beginning reboot kind of new beginning. 
We know this because not only do we see them responding to Jesus, not only do we see them all in the same room talking about Jesus again, eating with him, hanging out with him. In John 21 it says they all just spontaneously go fishing together. They wouldn't have got together even one day before. It's a miracle in itself that these guys were all going there. But not only that, Jesus takes some time to recreate a miracle from their earliest memories of him. Of filling up a boat with fish on a night that they hadn't caught anything. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. And then he fixes breakfast for them. And he cooks them breakfast on the shore. And they all come back. And not only are they sitting around the campfire with Jesus, they're sitting around the campfire with each other. You can't sit around a campfire and not be with the other people. You're all kind of facing each other and on either side of each other. And, and you're all feeling the same warmth. And you're all, you're all eating. And you're all, man, that's a cool environment. That's the kind of thing Jesus loves to do. He reconnects us with God. And he also reconnects us with each other. Some of you have been following this whole series. I hope all of you, and if not, you can go back and catch it. But it actually all ties together because each one of these things we've looked at is stuff that Jesus always does. It's stuff he wants to do in your life today. Jesus always reboots us. He gives us a genuine, supernatural level start over if we want it. And if we accept it and embrace it on his terms. Jesus always empowers us and commands us to reach out, to refocus our lives on other people more than ourselves, to stop trying to see what we could get out of it and how we can get our needs met, and instead spend our lives investing in the lives of others. Jesus empowers us to do that. That's not normal. That's not natural. That's not anything that makes any kind of sense, except it really actually does work. The most fulfilled, the most joyous lives are the ones that are spent on others' behalf. He continues to create things that help us remember, rhythms that help us remember. Easter Sunday morning is one of those. Why do we have a special... We celebrate him every single Sunday. We celebrate his death, burial, and resurrection every Sunday around the table. That's why he gave us that symbol. We give, we pray, we sing, we explore the word together. All of those things are rhythms that we do. Why do we have an annual one? Because it's that big of a deal. And he still loves it when we celebrate those things and when we create and we focus on the things that help us remember. If you, take, if you can, please take some time to see the amazing artwork that got submitted today. Uh, let, let, let the people who have contributed and thank you to every single one of them the people who helped set it up so beautiful, so cool really appreciate that but he loves it when we remember him intentionally and he loves it when we get the resolve that he had and we say because of all this we're going to do something and we start asking that question thank you for setting me free but I'm free to do what? How can I possibly, even though I can't really earn this, how can I live in a way that honors the sacrifice you made for me? And that leads to the third thing he always does. It's always his will. It's always his will. I know it's his will for you and me today. It's Jesus empowers us to love. Let's say that out loud together. Jesus empowers us to love. He shows us how. He tells us how. He gives us opportunities and resources. And all the every, he gives us everything we need to get the job done. 
that he gave us. So why is it, in light of all this, why is it that we still say things like this? I'd, I'd probably follow Jesus if he'd meet this need I've got right here. I would probably follow Jesus if he would let me have the kind of love life that I want, romantically speaking. I could make up my own rules about that. I would, I would follow Jesus uh, if Christians weren't this and that. How dare we? And how dare we say things like, I would love other people. Jesus told me to love other people, to use my freedom to love other people. I'd probably do that if they'd love me back. I'd probably do that if people in the world were actually worth loving, in my opinion. I'd probably do that if I could fit Jesus and all the other people into my schedule. I'm kind of a busy person. Really? But if we're honest, every single one of us has said something like that. Whether we said it out loud, whether we shook our fists at heaven and said it, or whether we just said it by our actions. What we did or what we just didn't get around to doing. At the end of Saving Private Ryan, man, there's this scene where he, he is just reliving the end of the story and he just breaks down his whole family his whole family rallies around him and then his wife comes up, just his wife, and he, 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 he says, tell me I've lived a good life. Tell me I'm a good man. She doesn't quite get what he means by that. But she says, you are. You and I know what he's talking about, right? He's saying, did I, did I do it? I know I couldn't pay those guys back, but did I live the kind of life that they would have respected? Did I live the kind of life that they were hoping I might live? She takes a few steps away and she turns around and looks and he's saluting their grave. And he knows they can't see it. What he's saluting is their dream. What they're saluting is he's saying, I'm still... Pledging my allegiance to you guys. Whatever time I've got left, I'm still living that dream that you had for me. Whatever I've got left, I'm still going to spend it as well as I possibly can. I know I can't pay it back. I know I can't. But I'm going to spend every moment trying. This morning, I invite you to salute Jesus that way you can't pay Jesus back but you can spend every free moment you've got trying to make him happy and just you trying listen to me just you trying makes him happy you don't have to succeed every single time you don't have to do amazing things that make you rich or famous or or change the lives of every single person on this planet but if Jesus sees you trying, he's like, yeah, yeah. If you're trying, if you respond to him with that kind of respect, that kind of love, that kind of gratitude, and you try, can you pay him back? No. Can you earn it? No. But can you make him smile? Yes. And I don't know about you, but I want to make him smile. I can't figure out any other way to respond to what he did than that.
So this morning I ask you to pray this prayer with me. Lord, I will become a Christ follower. I don't know if you already are, praise God. But if you're not, or if you used to be, and it, now you know you need to give your life back to him, would you do it today? Would you? Maybe for whatever reason, you're, you're still with Jesus, but something in you has died and you need him to resurrect you today. Maybe you just need that power. You need that hope, that reconnection with God, that reconnection with other people, that empowerment to love as he loves that nobody else can give you but Jesus. Would you accept that today? And if you need to do that in a public way, if you need prayer, if you need support, you can, do, you can ask for that. You can come forward. You can stay where you are and just get it from God. But we, we'd love to share that with you. Maybe God's inviting you to join our fellowship here officially or, or just you want to come and pray at the front. So it's really meaningful to a lot of people. I don't know how you need to respond today, but I'm asking you to pray this prayer with us as we stand and as we sing this last song. I want you to be praying this with your heart. Lord, I will use this freedom you gave me well. I will spend this amazing gift you've given me as wisely and as strategically as I possibly can. I will live a full, free, love life.